0: identifying lies and taking thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ as it says in Corinthians. The key to that is knowing the truth. And we don't win by fighting against the lies, we win by clinging to the truth and walking in it.
1: Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. You may have heard the Bible verse from John 8.32 that says, If we know the truth, the truth shall set us free. However, so many of us are vulnerable to lies we hear from others or even tell ourselves about who we are, about who others are, and about how we should be in the world. Our guests today encourage us to how we can overcome lies by walking in truth and embracing who we're meant to be in God's eyes. We're speaking with Pastor of Passion City Church, Louis Giglio, and author and speaker, Diana Butler Bass. First up, let's hear from Louis Giglio.
0: Hi, everyone. I'm Louis Giglio. I live in Atlanta, Georgia, with my wife, Shelly. And I am the pastor of Passion City Church, located in Atlanta, in Washington, D.C. And I give leadership to the Passion Movement. We are gathering this generation of 18 to 25-year-olds for the glory of God. So I wanted to follow God, but I had no clue what that was going to look like coming out of high school. It was more likely if you asked me what I was going to do in life that I was going to play professional tennis all my life. I was giving most of my daytime hours when I wasn't in school to playing tennis and went to college thinking I was going to go and play at Georgia State University. But all that changed my freshman year, didn't make the tennis team. God radically called me into ministry. This is back in the day, so I didn't really know what that meant. There were about six slots you could go into, a pastor, associate pastor, youth pastor, missionary, evangelist. And so I didn't really know what that meant. I just knew without a shadow of a doubt that God wanted me to communicate the gospel to my generation. And so starting as a sophomore in college, I began on that journey and on that track and had no idea that it would lead me to all the places God has brought me to today but grateful to still be proclaiming his story. The first step for me was to take any opportunity I had to communicate to people and you know that was going to be nine kids at a church north of Atlanta on Tuesday nights. I'd drive up there every Tuesday and try to build some cohesion in a little church community that didn't have a youth pastor or it was speaking at a youth retreat somewhere in the city that had 29 high school kids at in the middle of the night at a lock in but in those days you said yes to every opportunity to do what it was you thought god was calling you to do and i still want to be like that i'm just saying yes now to the opportunities god brings me part of the way ministry works in scripture is that the community of believers would call the gifts out in people people wouldn't announce hey i'm the preacher i'm the teacher i'm the evangelist People would just see the gift on people and then call the gift out in them. And so when you're doing these early things, you don't want to be a, you know, a thud. You want people going, wow, God really used you or God spoke to me. Or when you do this, I can sense this is God's plan for you. And I begin to get a lot of that feedback and affirmation. And thank goodness I wasn't making it about me. But I was just realizing, oh, I'm in my lane, and I'm in the lane that God wants me to be in. And all I've got to do is keep staying true and faithful to this calling. And that's really how I've gotten from that moment to this moment. It's just by waking up every day and saying yes to the opportunities that God gives me. We are moving into year 24, into year twenty five we started passion in nineteen ninety seven. Out of ten years of doing campus ministry at a campus in Texas, and Shelley and I sort of got there the same way we've gotten everywhere. We sensed God's leading in a direction that we didn't really see coming, we planted a Bible study at Baylor University. And in a few years' time, ten percent of that campus was coming on a Monday night to open God's word together. And we saw God do something phenomenal over a decade of time there. But my dad was disabled here in Atlanta soon into that process and had been declining year after year. And finally, the Lord released us to come from Texas to Atlanta to help my mom take care of my dad. And Interestingly, as we arrived in Atlanta after saying goodbye to 10 years of ministry, my dad died suddenly. And there we were in a very murky time of confusion and frustration and in the fog, if you will. We didn't have a ministry or a purpose, and here we were in a new city. And in that little window of time, a seed was planted and a vision was born. And that vision was not for a campus, but it was for the campuses of the nation. Being 18, 19, 20, is, that's the crossroad of life. That's where we make the friends that normally shape our future. It's where we make the decisions that sort of clarify our path and it's where faith is refined. And we wanted to be on that corner for the 20 million university students in America. And so we started a gathering called Passion in Austin, Texas in 1997 and 2000 college students showed up. It really did mark all of us, the four days we spent there. We came back the next year and the next year and four years later, 40,000 college students came together. One Day 2000 in Memphis, Tennessee, and we thought that was the end of the vision. Those people are all over the world right now serving Jesus. But the vision continued, and the point of it all is not conferences, it's not events, it's not just gathering lots of people. It's helping students come to this beautiful realization that life is not about them, and that life finds its greatest meaning. When we make our lives use our gifts and talents for the greatest thing there is. And we believe that's the glory of Jesus. Our message is the same. Our core root is the same. Isaiah 26, 8, for your name and your renown or the desire of our souls, that's still our heartbeat. Some of the speakers are the same. The shape of the messages are the same the purity of the event, the desire. It's not a lot of fanfare and frills. It's just we want to be with God. We want to exalt Him in worship. We want to catch His heartbeat for the nations, and we want to be sent out, flung out for His glory. If you just preach the gospel and preach the Word, it stays relevant in every season. They need to know that they're seen, loved, valued by God, healed, restored, and made complete in Christ, and equipped by the Spirit to be sent out into the world on kingdom assignments to bring glory to God and see salvation come to the nations. And that's still where we are today. I was in a really difficult place in leadership a lot of seasons ago, and I'd come through this tunnel of a lot of fire, and things had been said, and things had been done, and I'd said things, and as it was clarifying in, in time, I got some news one day and someone called me and said, you're not going to believe what just happened. It was a little tiny thing that had vindicated me. And oh my goodness, you'd have thought I got the greatest news in the world because we always want that moment that sort of proves, oh, see, I was right. See, I am a good guy. And I texted a friend who'd walked with me through this whole thing. And I said, you're not going to believe what I just heard. Can you believe if you just give things time, things always, you know, come out right. And I was just venting and wanted someone to commiserate with. And my friend loved me enough to send me the message I needed, not the message I wanted. And I looked down after waiting for a few moments and the text I received was nine words long and I'm, you're kidding me. I sent you this big, long message, and you're going to send me a sentence back, a phrase. And I focused on the words, and that's what was in the text. Don't give the enemy a seat at your table. And right in that moment, I realized that I had let the adversary dominate my thinking, disrupt my peace of mind, cause confusion and consternation and keep me up at night, And I had just been through the ringer on this thing all the while because I had let the enemy sit down at my table, and I was in a conversation with a killer. And in my driveway, staring at my phone, I'll never forget the moment, I just decided I'm taking the table of my mind back starting right now. Satan, you are not welcome at my table, and you are not welcome in this conversation. I'm not going to give you a seat anymore at my table. And that that little phrase, it sounds like a little spiritual cliche, if you will, but it's powerful. And I've actually leaned on that phrase multiple times every month, sometimes every week since that season, because the thoughts come in quick and we don't know where they come from, but we do have the power through Jesus to decide how long those thoughts stay in our mind. There are five big lies that center around this idea that Jesus tells us He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. The enemy convinces us you're not going to make it through this season, through this difficulty, this trial. The lie that everyone is against us, you know, this defense mentality that I walk in the office and already the enemy has put paranoia in my heart and I'm convinced that everybody in the office hates me and they're all out to get me and they're all conspiring for my demise. The lie that there's no way out. This is the lie that Elisha's servant thought when they woke up and that Aramean army had surrounded them in the night and he told him, you know, there's no way out. We're surrounded. But there's always a way out with God. And I think one of those lies that I like to point out to people a lot is the one you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it through this cancer. You're not going to make it through this arbitration or through this season or this challenge. And the only way the enemy can lie to us to tell us that we're not going to make it today is because we actually did make it through the last thing that the enemy told us we weren't going to make it through. And in that same Psalm, Psalm 23 he said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And he didn't say we're going to the valley. He said, we're going through the valley. And God has a way of bringing us through every trial and every circumstance. And anyone listening to us right now, that's their testimony. God has brought me through every situation and every trial I've ever faced in my entire lifetime. Yes, I have some scars. Yes, there was some loss, but God brought me through. And so when we face hard times, we shouldn't blink at that and act like it's nothing When we're in the middle of a challenging season or situation, we shouldn't say, oh, this, you know, I'm blessed and highly favored. We should say I'm in the middle of a really tough situation. But my story, God's brought me through every time, and I believe God's going to bring me through this time. That's how you take control of the lie and change the narrative into the truth. One of the things I pray every day, which is for discernment, which is the ability to see things before they arrive, to understand what's coming before you have to deal with it. And I'm not talking about something super mystical. I'm just talking about that gift of discernment that allows you to to think clearly about what's coming and be prepared for it as much as you can. And so clarity and discernment, and then just the courage that we all need in this season of life to stand for truth and to love people well and if we do that i think that many many people are going to find what they're really looking for and that's a brand new relationship with god through jesus christ jesus listens april 7 compassionate jesus you have been teaching me that anxiety is a result of envisioning the future without you so my best defense against worry is staying in communication with you. When I turn my thoughts toward you, I can give all my worries and cares to you, knowing that you care about me. Help me remember to read your word and listen as I'm praying, making my thoughts a dialogue with you. Thank you for providing guidelines for me to follow whenever I'm considering upcoming events. First, I must not linger in the future because anxieties sprout up like mushrooms when I wander there. Second, I need to remember the promise of your continual presence and include you in my thoughts as I plan future events. I confess that this mental discipline is challenging for me. My mind easily slips into daydreaming while I'm making plans. But I'm learning that the glorious reality of your presence with me, now and forevermore, outshines any daydream I could ever imagine. In your brilliant name, amen. Well, I love this prayer because I do believe that all of our fears and anxieties are either trapped in the past or lie somewhere out in a future that hasn't even yet come to be. So I'm delighted today to be reminded again that Jesus is with me. His name is Emmanuel, God with us, incarnate, actually living in us by the power of of His Holy Spirit. And I'm so grateful that we don't have to ask for that. As believers, we have Jesus in us and we have Jesus with us every step of our lives. May God open our eyes today, and I pray that He would open my eyes today to see what Paul said, that it is Christ in me, the hope of glory.
1: To learn more about Louis Giglio and his work, Please visit PassionCityChurch.com, and be sure to check out his new book, Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table, wherever books are sold. Stay tuned as we talk with Diana Butler Bass right after this Motherhood. It's a journey like no other, teeming with love, unparalleled dedication, and moments that pierce the very essence of your soul. It's a trek that demands to be celebrated, lauded, and embraced in its entirety celebrate the moms in your life this Mother's Day with two beautiful gift books—Jesus Calling for Moms by Sarah Young and Grace for the Moment for Moms by Max Licato. These heartfelt devotionals will remind the moms in your life just how special they are. Jesus Calling for Moms and Grace for the Moment for Moms are available now, where all books are sold.
2: During times of transition and unknown next steps— It's more important than ever to cling to the promises of God and to tune your ear to what Jesus has to say. Jesus Calling for Graduates is an encouraging compilation of 150 devotions from Sarah Young's brand. Grads will find topics such as discerning God's will, self-worth, trust, support, and much more. Jesus Calling for Graduates is perfect for both high school and college graduates as they embark on the next chapter. Look for our special custom edition of Jesus Calling for Graduates, available exclusively at faithgateway.com.
1: Brief message Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, but it can also be a season that makes us feel overwhelmed, anxious, and stressed. The good news is you can find peace and hope in Jesus at Christmas time. There's a brand new, 365-day devotional prayer book called Jesus Listens from Sarah Young, the author of Jesus Calling. With Jesus Listens, you can strengthen or renew your relationship with God through the continual conversation of prayer. Jesus Listens is perfect if you're busy with life's demands but want to grow in your prayer life, looking for rest and hope from difficult times, or are not even sure how to pray. Jesus Listens makes a great gift to friends and loved ones who also may be struggling with finding peace in their days. By praying Scripture through this daily devotional prayer book, you'll experience how intentional prayer connects you to God, changes your heart, and can even move mountains. For more information on how to get the new 365-day devotional prayer book, Jesus Listens, visit JesusCalling.com slash JesusListens. Diana Butler-Bass is an award-winning author, popular speaker, inspiring preacher, and one of America's most trusted commentators on religion and contemporary spirituality.
2: I'm Diana Butler-Bass, and I'm a writer and a teacher. In certain ways, though, what I do, write and teach, isn't entirely who I consider myself to be, and who I am is a, a pilgrim a person who is a journeyer in faith. I grew up in two places. I was born in Baltimore, Maryland. So the world that I inhabited when I was little was an urban world, Baltimore City, but it was also a world of woods and water, the beautiful landscape around the Chesapeake Bay. And, you know, I think that that had a huge impact on who I am. I was growing up in the 1960s. So the city was a place of conflict and turmoil and questions about social justice and and change. Then my parents moved when I was 13 years old. It was 1972. We left Maryland and moved to Arizona. And so the That part of my growing up, my teenage years, happened in the desert. And so I have these two different kind of geographical universes, these two landscape universes that called forth different parts of who I am. And so these two places, I think, shaped my spiritual imagination, uh, that I understand both the kind of tenderness and embrace and comfort that we find in Christianity that God offers to us. And yet, on the other hand, I also recognize the sort of challenging landscape. And that the challenging landscape and that which seems sometimes arid is often a place of spiritual encounter where we learn things differently and we see ourselves in starker relief. So those two landscapes really shaped me. My family, in some ways, my dad was a florist, and so I also grew up around a lot of flowers. My mom was just a stay-at-home mom, and I grew up in the Methodist church, pretty kind of old-fashioned church to grow up in, and I have a brother and a sister. And so it was the five of us, and we traveled from this one place to another and tried to make family in these two very different worlds. I think what began to happen was adolescence and the new location, they really combined to shake me up. And the questions that my childhood church had answered of comfort, of kindness, of being nice to your neighbor, all these things, they just didn't seem adequate in the new environment. And everything came into sort of sharper relief and deeper questions. And I began to wonder, who am I really? Why are we here? Does God have a purpose for my life? When I got into my 20s, I started going to an Episcopal church, and I have been a member of the Episcopal church since then, so it's been a long relationship that I have with the Episcopal church. And that's been a church experience. But What I would say is it's the joy of of participating in a tradition that's an old tradition. It's a 500-year-old tradition with roots further even back beyond that. And that old tradition grounded me and yet it gave me also a sense of freedom to not be afraid of questions because if you're part of a tradition that's centuries and centuries old, you know that you know, it's not going to go away next year, <laughs> it's going to last. And so you can ask whatever questions need to be asked. And in that context of church, I both felt grounded and incredibly free. I love church, not in a sort of starry eyed honeymoon period or think that church does everything right. I know better. But it's more like a commitment to being in community with others through Jesus in order to know God in ways that I otherwise wouldn't. So I think of church as that kind of storytelling community and how it opens our capacity to see stories that we wouldn't write ourselves. And so that is powerful to me. And then churches wrap those stories in music and prayer and a sense of mission to do justice in the world. And so it becomes more than just hearing a nice story it becomes a nice story that calls, sometimes it's a hard story actually to listen to as well, but it becomes a story that calls forth in us a response. And that response is you know, sometimes, oh God, forgive me that I have not cared for this neighbor who's been invisible to me. Um, help, help me do better. So sometimes the story calls forth repentance. Um, other times the story calls forth um, joy oh my gosh look at that story the prodigal son is really welcomed home and so if god can welcome that guy back i'm welcome back and so to see our lives through those stories is to anticipate that we respond to this and then of course those prayers depending on what church you're part of are formal prayers of repentance and joy Formal prayers of forgiveness and thanksgiving, or their extemporaneous ones—they just right? sort of flow out of the heart of the congregation. And then song is another way of praying. I love to sing. Sometimes I can't even put my prayers into words, and they find their way into the music um, of a service. And that's that's always a mystery and beautiful, uh, beautiful thing when it happens. And then finally. Every church service of every sort I've ever been to basically ends with a call for the people of God to remember that what happens in church on Sunday isn't just what church is about, but that real church happens when you go out the door. And so the gathering is a storytelling gathering, it's a gathering of shaping our stories in the language of prayer it's a gathering of being refreshed and renewed by that prayer that happens to music it's about being together and strengthening one another and then it's about going forth and then church loving our neighbors caring for the poor feeding the hungry visiting prisoners in jail all that stuff that's church that's what jesus said would be church in in matthew 25 do that for the least of my brothers and sisters and you're doing it for me and so where do we encounter God It's it's out Jesus is out in the world and so so that's all the stuff that I love about church I don't spend a whole lot of time with devotional literature but as an author I do spend a lot of time in bookstores (laughs) And one of the things I noticed when my last book came out, a book called Grateful. I remember being in Barnes and Noble and interestingly enough, my book Grateful was right next to Jesus calling on this the bookshelf. And you know why? I have no idea because the author, my name is at the beginning of the alphabet. <laughs> and that's not. Uh, it's not Sarah's last name, and she's at the other end of the alphabet. And so there are those two books were side by side on the on the Barnes and Noble new books shelf. And so I remember uh, just you know picking it up and thinking you know I, I don't know about this author and and you know thumbing through it and I thought well oh, this is a helpful devotional. I do appreciate the thoughtfulness of my sister writers who shape material so that the stories can be read in smaller bits and chunks, you know, and that we can get to know the voice of God in our lives on that daily basis and be reminded of that voice and those intuitions, you know, that are prompting through words written and spoken that do come through devotions. So that's how I got to know Jesus calling was that our books were on the same shelf. I want to encourage people, you know, there's a beauty about being in community. There's a beauty about being in church. Those people who do it well and, and touch in place. Those are some of the greatest heroes that I know. But there's also a call. Carry your story in such a way that your neighbors want to have coffee and be able to tell your story of Jesus as easily and naturally as I think Jesus. Jesus told his own story.
1: To learn more about the work of Diana Butler Bass, visit her website at dianabutlerbass.com. And you can find her book, Freeing Jesus, Rediscovering Jesus as Friend, Teacher, Savior, Lord, Way, and Presence, anywhere books are sold. If you'd like to hear more stories about walking in God's truth, check out our interview with Ben Higgins. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we'll hear from Nigerian gospel singer Sinaj, who shares how she's spreading hope with the world through song.
2: The joy of just seeing the expression on people's faces as we minister the music, the joy when we travel and see them come to Christ, open up their hearts, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. As we sing the praises of God in different places, people who have never never even given a thought to accepting Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. the opening up their hearts and accept Him as their Lord and Savior. That's what makes it up. it's such a joy to be a part of what God is doing and be in the middle of it and see people's lives change.
1: Want to hear more inspirational stories of people who have been changed by A Closer Walk with God? Then subscribe today to The Jesus Calling Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please be sure to leave a review, which helps us reach and inspire others with these stories. Plus, if you like seeing our guests as well as hearing them, you can find video interviews available on our YouTube channel at youtube.com Jesus Calling Book, on Facebook, and on the Jesus Calling Instagram page.